0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. It's printed inside your bulletin, and uh, as I read it along, you can follow along. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does a perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Today is a very important holiday for Christians in particular, because this is a day that we celebrate one of the most important events that we uh, as Christians believe, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're somebody, I know there's a lot of visitors here, but if, you're, if you've been here for about the last month, we were looking at the meaning of the death of Jesus Christ, why he died on the cross. But you know all of that, why Jesus died on the cross, actually has no ultimate meaning if today doesn't happen. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Jesus' death on the cross is simply some kind of inspirational story, maybe. It's a story of courage. It's a story of sacrifice, it's a story of love in the face of great injustice, but that's all it is. It's just a nice story to hear. The reason why the gospel is good news and not just a good story is because of the resurrection. The resurrection is what makes it news for us, which is it's what makes it a reality for us. It is the very thing that gives faith and Christianity its power to change and to transform us. Now, you think about that, if you just talk to an average New Yorker about the resurrection, the average New Yorker probably says this about the resurrection. You know, it's a nice story. Uh, I like to even uh, hear the story, but you cannot really believe that this is something that actually happened in history. You see, to think of the resurrection as an actual historical event that happened, it sounds absurd to the average person in New York, I would imagine. Nobody rises from the dead. And, you know, whenever I personally get to talk to somebody about Christianity, about Christi- Christian belief, people always says, that's nice, right? That's, the gospel is a nice story, but how do I know it's true? How do I know it's true? And you see, that's the key question. If you're going to take any kind of faith seriously, how do I know that this is true? And, you know, my answer always has to go back to the resurrection. And I usually say this, you know, Jesus in his time was viewed as a Uh, As a very blasphemous person, he said things that were very uh, out there. He said even a lot of very offensive things. And when he died on the cross, the ones who followed him, they lost hope because they said if Jesus died, then he couldn't have been the Messiah. If Jesus died on a cross, he's a fraud. Everything that he claimed to be could not be true. But something had to change their mind, right? Because for early Christians, I think it was their encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ that ultimately changed their mind. You know, the question, how do I know it's true, inevitably has to turn to the resurrection. And we have to ask, how do I know that Jesus really rose from the dead? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then guess what? Christianity is true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, his claims are not true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no good news to proclaim here today, but if Jesus did rise from the dead, his statements are vindicated, his claims are true, and there is great news for the world and for you and me. You know, with such an important question as truth, the truth of the bodily resurrection Uh, modern people, I think we tend to think, we're smarter and more intelligent than people in the past and people in the ancient world. But you know, people in the ancient world had a hard time actually accepting and believing the fact that Jesus rose from the dead as well because you have here this community in the Corinthian church and there were people in the Corinthian church and they too did not believe that Jesus bodily raised from the dead and they interpreted it and they said this was not a physical resurrection but it had to be some kind of spiritual resurrection. Of course, their reasons for saying that were a little bit different from ours but their conclusions were the same. And so what Paul does as he is addressing this church, he writes uh, the longest chapter in, that you'll find in 1 Corinthians, 58 verses long, this entire chapter is devoted to the resurrection. And if we had a chance to read the entire chapter, what you would see is what, it's pretty clear that he is not saying, you know, it's enough to draw inspiration from the resurrection. It's enough to understand the resurrection as a metaphor. But rather, he is saying this, You have to understand that Jesus rose from the dead physically, bodily, because if that did not happen, guess what? Your faith is in vain. If that did not happen, you're a fool. You're a fool for believing in this stuff. If that did not happen, you know how you should live? You should devote yourself to your own pleasure and just seek your own pleasure because there is nothing more to life than living a life filled with pleasure. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then it changes everything. And so today, on this Easter Sunday, we're going to look at this chapter. And uh, we're going to see, by the way, this is a part of the chapter where we start to see some emotion from Paul. He gets a little bit excited here. And and this isn't something where one can just kind of say, oh, you know, this is a nice thing to hear. But this is something that we ought to get excited about, just like Paul is excited about here. And uh, we're going to look at three things that the resurrection gives us. It gives us the power to change. It gives us a victory over death, and it gives us hope for our lives. Power, victory, and hope. So let's look at those three things. The power to change. You know, in verse 51, uh, the Apostle Paul says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And then in verse 52, he says, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And I think the immediate question comes to mind is, what kind of change is Paul talking about here? You know, people in our culture, I think we, uh, we want to change for the better, most people. Uh, that's why there's such a big market for things like self-help books. Uh, people read these self-help books and they say, how can I better myself? How can I improve? How can I change? How can I evolve in a person? But, you know, I think the way we typically approach change is a little bit misguided and a little bit misdirected. Because what we tend to do is we say the power to change ultimately resides in here, within ourselves, within ourselves. That's why we call it self-help. We're saying that the power to change comes from within, and all we need is more education, all we need is a little bit more willpower, and we can make these changes for ourselves. And the reason we do that is because I think Western culture, in terms of the values of Western culture, uh, it has a tendency to over-inflate the capabilities of the individual person. And so we say things like this, "You know, I, I know what's best for myself. Right? We always make that assumption. But how do we really know what's best for ourselves because in order to know what is best for ourselves you know what we need we need a infinite knowledge of the future and we need a willingness i think to subject ourselves to some pain and some suffering right you know with respect to having an infinite knowledge i think it's obvious that everybody here we are working with a limited amount of data We don't know what decisions that we make today is going to lead to in the future in terms of unintended consequences. All we really know is what we want now, and all we know is what we think will lead to something better, but life is very complex, right? Life is very complex, and we don't know sometimes how certain choices are going to lead in terms of the future. And here's the other thing. Sometimes the best thing for us is actually to experience some kind of failure or to experience some kind of hardship in life. And you hear that from people all the time, especially people who have experienced or achieved a certain level of success. What they'll say is the best thing that could have ever happened to me is when I pursued this venture and it failed because it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about my character. It taught me a lot about perseverance. But you see, if we assume that the power to change resides within ourselves, who among us are ever going to choose the harder path? Who among us are ever going to choose that which will lead to failure and that which will lead to hardship. I don't think most of us would voluntarily choose that. And so, you see, to say that true and good and everlasting and good change resides within ourselves, I think it's a little bit misguided. You see, what the Bible says is this. The Bible is always trying to point us away from ourselves because it says we are actually uh, a big part of the problem, we are the ones who are powerless, and we are the ones who are ultimately incapable of the kind of change that we need. Salvation doesn't come from within us. Salvation comes from outside of us. And, you know, some people say, well, I don't believe that because I, have, I think I have the power to change. I've, I've done it. And even if that were true, the kind of change that we are able to achieve is somewhat limited because perhaps you can change a habit, perhaps you can change a behavior, but you can't change in the kind of way that Paul is talking about here. Because what kind of change is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about simply a moral reformation or behavior modification. He's talking about a kind of change that is far greater than we can imagine. Look at verse 53, and he says this, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. That's the kind of change he is talking about, the change from perishable to imperishable, the change from mortality to immortality. You know, something perishable and something that's mortal is subject to decay, subject to death. And what Paul is talking about in terms of the kind of change here that the resurrection gives us is one in which decay and death no longer has power over us. And You see, that is a kind of change that every one of us ultimately needs because every one of us at some point are going to experience and face decay and the power of death. Uh, death is powerful, right, friends? Death is powerful. I once had a history professor who said, you know, back in the day people would always talk about death all the time and the topic of sex was taboo. In our culture, the reverse is true, that uh, people talk about sex all the time, but the topic of death has become taboo. It's, it's a tab- topic that we tend to avoid. And because we avoid it, because we don't really want to think about it, we're ill-equipped to really process death because we tend to avoid uh, confronting the reality of it. We have all these euphemisms to... Uh, make death seem more pleasant than it is. We say things like death is natural, death is part of the circle of life. Steve Jobs said death is a great innovator. And I think all of these things are a way to soften the harsh reality of death. But here's the thing. If you have experienced the death of someone you deeply care about, the death of a loved one, you know from a deeply existential level, death is not natural. Death is more like this unwelcome enemy that is invading your life. And you know that death is powerful because it has the power to turn your insides out. It has the power to turn your life upside down. It has the power to mess you up in a very uniquely powerful way. Death is powerful, friends. You know, on HBO, uh, last year the comedian Gary Shandling died. And so I think Judd Apatow, who was a good friend of Gary Shandling, he Uh, created this documentary on the life of Gary Shandling that was composed of interviews with friends, uh, but also Gary Shandling's uh, personal diaries and journals. And I didn't know this about him until uh, I saw the documentary, but Gary Shandling was a very tortured person. And what this documentary is trying to do is it's trying to trace the root of what made him to be so neurotic, so unhappy for a long period of time, so relationally distant from so many people, And, you know, of course, he was a very gifted man. He was very well loved. Uh, His comedian friends loved him. Uh, He was a very talented man. Uh, He even helped a lot of people. But on the flip side, inwardly, he was very tortured. He was very unhappy, and he also ended up hurting a lot of people. Now, you know what the documentary seems to trace the root of all of that to? To the death of his older brother when he was 10 years old you know, he's very close to his older brother, and uh, when they were both children, his older brother had cystic fibrosis. And when Gary Shanling was 10 years old, the disease finally took his older brother's life, and uh, that itself would mess a person up. But uh, the way that his family uh, tried to handle it was basically tried to avoid uh, having, right, avoid experiencing the, the grief of that death. So you know, when he was dying, they didn't let him say goodbye to his brother. They were trying to shield him. Uh, when he did die, they didn't let him go to the funeral because they didn't want to see uh, his parents in such a devastated state. And they were trying to, of course, protect him and hide him from the devastating effect of death. But you can't do that. Death is that powerful. You cannot shield anybody from the devastating effects of it. And you see, it changed Gary Shandling, in a very profound way, it changed his parents. It changed the relationship that he had with his parents. And that is the power of death. You know, I think Mark Twain once said it like this, when somebody you love dies, it's like when your house burns down. It isn't for years that you realize the full extent of your loss. I think Gary Shandling's life epitomizes that in many ways. Um, The death of his brother is probably something that shaped him and something that he carried for the bulk of his life. But you see, as powerful as death is, it's not the end of the story in the Christian story. Because as powerful as death is, there is a greater power, and it is the power of the resurrection. This power is one that transforms death into life, that transforms perishable into imperishable, that transforms mortal into immortality. And where does that power ultimately comes, come from? It comes from the risen Lord Jesus jesus christ and this leads to our second point the victory over death you know in verse 57 paul says this but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ you see jesus's victory over sin and death is a powerful victory but you know i want to highlight the kind of victory that it was you know do you see where paul says in here death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting you know what paul is doing here <laughs> He's taunting. He's taunting death. Like, na 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 right? Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Now, for anyone who has experienced the powerful impact of death, you kind of say, how does somebody taunt death like that? You know, back in the day, Mike Tyson in his prime, great boxer. If I were boxing Mike Tyson in his prime, you know the last thing I would do? would be? I would not taunt him, right? I would never say, Mike, where is your victory, right? Mike Tyson, where is your sting? Bow, right? Knock me out. Why? Because I would be too afraid that he would crush me, he would destroy me, he would devastate me. But what if I were Mike Tyson in the ring, right? (laughs) What if I was fighting an amateur fighter? Maybe I would taunt a little bit You see, the position, the fact that Paul is here actually taunting death, it says something a lot about the assurance or the decisiveness of the victory of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. Why is Paul taunting death? It's not because he is like Mike Tyson, but it's actually because he knows Jesus is like Mike Tyson and that Jesus' victory becomes our victory, and Jesus' victory would be a decisive victory. You see, in Jesus' battle, cosmic battle against sin and evil, not even death could hold him down. Death may have stung him for a moment, but Jesus would beat it through his rising up to new life. He would conquer sin and death once for all. Death could have won the first round, but guess what? Death doesn't win the ultimate fight. Now, what exactly does a decisive defeat mean? Have you ever thought about it? You know, when Jesus rose from the dead... One of the peculiar things that the Gospels tell us is uh, he still maintained the scars from his crucifixion. So when he has resurrected and he is uh, showing his disciples basically his scars, he's like, I am Jesus, look at my scars. Have you ever thought that was strange? Because you think about somebody, if Jesus was his inglorious, perfect, beautiful, resurrected body, then wouldn't the scars be removed? Why would he still have them? And of course this is conjecture, but perhaps he still has them because they are the very things that actually became part of his glory and part of his beauty. If you think about what a decisive defeat means, a decisive defeat of death, I don't think it means that we simply kind of just get over our pain and sorrow and we forget about them as if they never happened. I think a decisive defeat actually means that things that were once our pain and our sorrow, our scars, so to speak, are going to be redeemed and transformed into something good and into something beautiful. That these are the things that will ultimately serve to contribute to our glory and to our beauty in the resurrected life to come. And you see, that's how all things will be made right. And if you think about it, that is an astounding thought, friends. That is how decisive Jesus' victory is over sin and death. Not simply that evil is vanquished, but evil will be claimed <laughs> and turned into good and used to contribute to glory and to beauty in life in the resurrection. And this leads to our final point. You know what the resurrection ultimately does for a person, for a person who believes in this? It gives us hope. Hope. Hope I think is a precious thing. Without hope, you lose meaning. Without hope, you lose a sense of purpose. Do you know what the greatest threat to hope is? Suffering. Evil. That's why wars mess people up. That's why when we read the news every day and we see shooting after shooting, and we see greater polarization and we see a culture of sexual harassment and assault, and we see all of this evil and all of this injustice in the world, one of the things it's that that it threatens to take away is hope. And we have this feeling of, you know what, what's the point? We have this feeling of, I give up. We have this feeling, you know, I've heard this too. People will say, what's the point of bringing a child into the world, into a world that's this messed up? You know, on a personal level, I think that's why when somebody experiences something so tragic and something so horrific, uh, the natural reaction is to say, you know, I just want to withdraw from the world. uh, I just want to stop living my life uh, because there's a sense of I've lost meaning and purpose because I've lost hope. You know what the resurrection does? The resurrection is good news for us because it it says this, no matter what, No matter what kind of evil, no matter what kind of suffering you experience, there is always reason for hope. Always. Not because the suffering is light, not because we shouldn't grieve or lament at suffering and evil, but we always have hope because Jesus is victorious. And one day, all these things will be not only vanquished, but redeemed. All of these things will be given its proper place, and all of these things will be actually given its proper meaning and purpose in the story of redemption in our lives. I think that's why Paul says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable always, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Uh, You naturally read that and you say, what does verse 58 have to do with everything else? Well, it has everything to do with the resurrection. That's why Paul uses the word therefore. He's making a connection. He says, be steadfast, be immovable, because there are things in this world that can shake us and can move us and can knock us down. But guess what? The resurrection can give you the proper grounding to withstand that which can knock us down. Not only that, but he says, Always abound in the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. Why? Because he knows when there is hope, then there is meaning, and there is ultimate purpose in the labor that we do for the Lord. Our work is not in vain because there is a resurrection. You see, friends, the sting of death, it surely is powerful. And I know there are people in this room who have experienced it, whether it's with a grandparent, a parent, spouse sibling friend coworker child the sting of death is powerful and we will all experience the sting of it but if the resurrection is true then the sting of death is more like a bee sting and not like a sting from a bullet both will hurt but a bee sting won't be the end of us. Right, unless we're allergic to it, but. (laughs) (laughs) In general, a bee sting will not be the end of us. The resurrection means that our future won't come to a hopeless end, but rather our future is filled with endless hope. Endless hope. I'll tell you this, if you're not a believer here today, the At least get this right. Christianity is not an invitation to a philosophy or to a way of life. It's not. That's a part of it, but that's ultimately not what Christianity is about. Christianity is an invitation to a person. It's an invitation to come to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, the victorious Jesus Christ, the one who is victorious over sin and death, the one who gives us hope because he allows us to share in it. As we celebrate Easter Sunday... Perhaps you've experienced the sting of death. I pray and hope that we are all reminded that that sting is minimal, not because it's minimal in and of itself, but in view of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray together.